us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the anthem that the choir has just sung. We thank you for our choir. We thank you for the gifts that you put within this church. We know that many churches are not blessed with, with the gifts of music that we have within this congregation. We just thank you for that. I pray that as we open your word now that you will teach us in these next few minutes, guide our thoughts and our minds and our hearts, and may we be open to submitting fully to you in your name. Amen. There are stories in the Bible that offend our uh, cultural sensitivities. Some of the things that we maybe culturally become accustomed to or that within our culture would seem extreme or out of line. Today we're going to look at two stories like that. Both of those stories are found in the book of Mark. And both stories have many lessons for us, but I want to simply look at the most, what I see as the most offensive aspects of these stories to our societal thinking and minds. Our first story is in Mark chapter 10, and so I invite you to open your Bibles with me to the book of Mark, Matthew, Mark, the second book of the New Testament, Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 17. Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him, as Jesus was setting out up on his journey. A man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to, intern- to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And you know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. Here in Mark chapter 10, we meet a rich young man. We don't actually know he's rich yet. We will know that in just a few moments. But the young man comes to Jesus and he wants to know what he can do to receive eternal life. Jesus shares with him several commandments. Jesus now isn't, so we understand this, Jesus isn't sharing with him these commandments. He's not saying these things because he's telling, teaching that, that there is some way that you can earn your way into heaven. But Jesus understands the system and the mindset that this young man is approaching him with. And Jesus knew that this man was looking for something he could do personally to be saved. Salvation is a matter of the heart, though. And so when the young man is, is addressing Jesus, when he asks Jesus, Jesus sets up all these things he's done, but then he is setting it up so that Jesus can address his heart personally. We continue reading, and the Bible tells us there in verse 20. And he said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, and I love this phrase, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing, Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Go and sell everything that you have and give to the poor. Offensive story number one to our cultural sensibilities. And if you don't know why it is offensive, I'll come back and tell you in just a moment. Offensive story number two is found in Mark chapter 12. And so if you want to turn there to Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 41. And Jesus sat down, Mark chapter 12, verse 41, and Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. 
And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contribute out of, contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty, and here is the offensive part, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Everything she had, all she had to live on. Both of these stories are offensive. They are offensive because they completely go against our cultural understanding of both fairness and also of rational logic. The first story for us in our modern thinking is too absolute. It's too absolute. Jesus uses one those absolute words that, that, that you are to give everything. This, this type of absolute thinking is, is offensive to us. Uh, I, I don't know about you, but, but words like never and always uh, and everything, I don't like words like that. In fact, let me just share with you a little, a little secret. I know some of you sometimes think, man, this pastor makes a lot of changes in our church. You know, one of the ways to, 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 to make me want to change something, just a little hint so you never say this to me, is if you say to me, you know, we've always done it this way, then I'm very likely to think to myself, you know, if we've always done it this way, maybe it's time for a change. So if there's something you really like, don't ever say always to me, just for the, just for, uh, for, uh, for a little thing there. But we don't like absolutes. We don't like someone saying that we absolutely have to do this. So the first story is offensive because it's such a clear absolute. Go give everything that you have, bottom line, period. The second is offensive because of its lack of logic. Some of us may think that we're truly okay with these passages, and some of us may be okay with these passages, but most of us at our, at our honest core are in some way offended or put off by them. You may say, well, that's not me. I'm not offended or put off by them at all. Then I would challenge you in this, and I would challenge myself in this as well. If we think that these are not too offensive to us or too extreme for us, then I would say do this. Go home and find that thing which you possess the most and sell it. I mean, that you, desire, that you enjoy the most, and sell it. And then just see how comfortable you are in that moment. Or, if that's not an option, maybe go home, and if you're living at this level, say, what do I need to give away to live at a level below where I am living at? What do I need to, how many chestnuts do I need to give away in order to live at a level below where I'm living at? You see, both these messages bother our very human nature because both of us in our minds, right? I mean, all of us in our minds right now, we know that probably none of us are going to go home and actually do that. It's, it's, it goes against our very human nature. The first story seems unfair because Jesus isn't just asking for a portion of what this man has, but he's saying, I want you to put in everything. Since, I've accept, since Christ convicted my heart on tithe and helped me to understand the whole idea of on tithe, I've never had a problem with God asking me for 10%. Absolutely, I've never had a problem with that. Even the people that give a double tithe, I can completely understand that idea. Those who give 20%. I even understand in some uh, logical fashion, Rick Warren's uh, reverse tithing. You may not uh, know the story of Rick Warren, but he lives on 10% and he gives 90% away. He said when he wrote his book, Purpose Driven uh, Life, he suddenly was uh, blessed with tens of millions of dollars. And, and he looked at his life, he looked at his old Ford Explorer truck, and he looked at, looked at his house, and he thought, what are we going to do with all this money? And he said, and then I remembered that the opening line of my book is, it's not about you. 
And he said, does that include my money? Is my money really not about me as well? And so he began to look at how I can be a blessing. And so he, he and his wife decided to reverse tithe. Even this is, is understandable in some ways to me because, uh, especially when he's made tens of millions of dollars. Okay, so he's reverse tithing. But Jesus goes even beyond that. He doesn't say just 10 or 15 or 20 or, or even 90. Jesus says sell everything. Jesus is telling this man what to do with his money. And let's face it, in our society, in our culture, this is offensive to us. We don't like to be told what to do with our money. We don't like to be told where we need to give it or how we need to give it. If uh, In a church I pastored previously, I preached one January a sermon on giving like I've done here, like I often do. I preached a sermon on giving, and in that sermon I shared that I believe Jesus expects every Christian to give at least 10% to the Lord's work. And I also said that if a Christian isn't giving at least 10%, that I believe that they are stealing, that they are actually thieves and robbing from God, that it's a, 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 a true offense to God. And I said this, and I said this based on Malachi 3. Do you know, I think that sermon bothered more people than any sermon I've ever preached in my life. At the end of the sermon, I was standing at the back door, and I was standing there at the back door uh, shaking hands as I do, and this elder approached me. One of my elders approached me, and he walks, he's walking towards me, and he has this smile on his face, and, and, uh, and I can still see him, and he's walking towards me, and he sticks out his hand, and I shake his hand, and he goes in for that... Um, that, uh, you know, that man hug, you know, men, how they, they shake hands and then they give that kind of hug. And he's smiling and he's got, and he puts his arm around me and he gets right up by his, my ear and, and I can still see the smile on his voice. And he says to me, you're such a Pharisee. He steps back, smiles at me and walks on out the door. I kind of knew at that point that that relationship might be going a little south. Two days later, I get this phone call at my house and uh, this lady, and she calls me, she said, Pastor, you got to pray for me. I said, what's going on? She said, my husband has not talked to me uh, uh, since Sabbath. She he hasn't talked to me, or I guess it was three days later. He hasn't talked to me in three days. And I said, why? And she said, well, after your sermon on Sabbath, he was so angry about it, and we were driving home, and he was just could not believe that you felt like you had the right to say what you said, and he was so upset about it, and I told him that I agreed with your sermon, and he hasn't talked to me since. Please pray for me. I said, well, we will. And folks, that's a whole other story because that, that God did a work on that man's heart and he became actually one of our greatest givers. It was amazing. Um, it was just amazing. But people don't want to be told what to do with their money. And if their wives agree with them, they get angry. If their wives agree with the pastor who told them, even if the Bible is the one telling us what to do. And so when Jesus tells this man to sell everything he has, I know somewhere deep inside of us, this is a little bit offensive to our cultural nature. Because sometimes even just 10% is offensive. Or if someone says, well, we need to give a little bit more. And you may say, well, I'm already giving 10%. Why do I have to give more? Or if someone says, well, we need to give a little bit more. Well, I'm already giving 15%. Why do I need to give more? Therefore, he really better not ask me for 100%, and yet that's what Jesus does. Then Jesus gets really offensive. Jesus tells this young man this. He tells this young man that his giving is linked, or he implies that his giving is linked directly to his heart. And that what he gives is a sign of his heart. In our modern culture, when we would hear something like this, we would say, hey, don't judge me. Don't judge me. 
based on this aspect of things. Jesus, in fact, lays out a non-negotiable. Give everything or no kingdom. Everything or no kingdom. We would think to ourselves, Jesus, can't the man work his way up towards 100%? Why not 5% this year, 15% next year, maybe 25% the year after that? Maybe he has not such a good year the year after that, so he'll go back to 16.5%, but then the year after that, he'll go back to to 26%. Why all of it? Why everything? Jesus says, nope, all of it, everything, now or nothing. To our modern culture and our modern thinking, we would call this offensive and not very logical. The story is offensive because it is so absolute in its directive. The second story is offensive because it is so illogical. The poor widow comes, imagine, imagine a scenario like this in your life. A poor widow comes to you and tells you that she only has a few dollars left to her name and she has no food, but she feels convicted in her heart that she needs to give these last few dollars to the Lord. Now remember, widow comes, I have only a few dollars left to my name, and I have no food, but I feel convicted that I need to give this money to the Lord. I need to put this in the offering plate on the Sabbath day. What would you tell her? Probably something like this. That is very generous of you, but God understands, and he wants you to eat. God wants you to be sensible about these things. And if the woman still went ahead and gave her money and then was hungry, we would think, well, she should have used her God-given wisdom and kept the money. But then we read the story in Mark chapter 12, a a real-life story like this where Jesus is watching this exact scenario unfold in front of his eyes. First of all, how can Jesus, my question to Jesus, is how can you not run over to that widow and stop her hand before she drops the coins in and tell her, now I see, ma'am, I see that your heart is for God and that's enough. You don't need to put in the money. But not only does Jesus not do that, and not only does he not call her unwise or unsensible, he actually regarded this woman as wise and he says that her story is recorded as a model throughout history. It's It's a story that's recorded as a model throughout history. And yet, if any one of you came to my office and said to me I'm going to give away everything I have my, in my initial humanness I would probably try to talk you out of it and I don't say that actually from just uh, from, from my own suspecting my, my own knowledge of myself I say that actually out of a real experience this morning, when I woke up this morning, I, God brought this story to my mind. Again, at another church I was at where I was preaching, I preached a sermon on sacrificial giving. I talked about how God calls us to be sacrificial in our giving. Uh, that Yes, we give the, the, the 10%. Yes, we may give an offering, but God calls us to stretch ourselves, to be sacrificial in our giving. Again, I was at the back door, another strange experience. I was at the back door uh, shaking hands, and this, this Indian couple comes to me, and, and, this, and uh, the husband starts to hand me this envelope, and this offering envelope. And I said, oh, no, 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 I don't. You can, you, can, um, uh, you can just give that to the deacons or whatever. He's like, no, my wife wants me to give it specifically to you. And I was like, I really don't like to take money. He's like, well, it's not money. And I'm thinking, okay, what is this thing? So I take this 
envelope, and, I, and I'm holding it in my hands. He said, this is my wife's most prized possession. It was given to her by one of her family members back in India, and it was this, this, uh, this, this bracelet, this bangle thing that, that she had. And I looked at it. Later, I found out it was pure gold. And I look at this thing, and I said to him, I said, well, why does she want to give it? Well, she feels like God's convicting her to give this. And, I, and, I, and she was staying there right with him, and he's talking to me. I said, I said, look, sister, you don't need to give me this. I said, you can pay tithe next week, or you can pay your offerings next week. Don't worry about it. You keep this. God understands. And I tried to give it back to her. And then she says, no, no, no. The, uh, she's like, no, no. Uh, the Lord's convicted me. I said, no, really. You, this, is a, this is a personal heirloom. This is something that's valuable to you for your family. Here, you, you, you can keep it. You, don't, you can give something else. And the husband goes, that's what I told her, too. And she said, no, pastor, the Lord's convicted me. And she wants, here I am at the back door. I just preached on sacrificial giving. The lady says, the Lord has convicted my heart to give you this. And I'm trying to tell her, no, no, the Lord wouldn't say that to you. I mean, folks, so, so I don't even have to guess whether or not if you came to my office and said, here, I want to give you everything, what I would do, because I've done it right at the back door. Sacrificially give. God's calling me to give this to you, my most prized possession. Me saying, nah, I don't you know, God doesn't really want you to do that. She eventually won, and I took it, and, and uh, we gave it to the Lord. But folks, the story is illogical to common sense. Therefore, it is offensive to us. And that Jesus uses one of those absolute words again. She has put in everything she had, and then he emphasizes it, as, emphasizes it again. All she had to live on, so there's no doubt what everything means all she had to live on this offends us we as a society are so offended by these stories i believe and one of the examples i believe that shows that we are offended by these stories is that we have reduced them to their lowest value we have rationalized them to an acceptable position that we can handle and they actually preach really well there and we like to preach them in that zone. We say things in regards to these sermons. We say things like, God isn't saying he expects you really to give up everything. He simply wants to know that you would be willing to give up everything. And we'll say things like that. We want to throw in these little caveats to let people off the hook. God's not really asking you to give everything. He simply wants to know that you would be willing to give everything. Or we say stuff like, we can learn from these two people that God wants all of our hearts. We take it away from the financial. God wants all of our hearts. Those are good messages, and they're true messages, but maybe in our materialistic world, or maybe even especially in our materialistic world, there are people and there are times when Jesus is asking us to give up everything we have, every material possession we have, for the kingdom of God. And even me saying that right now in this moment, I have to resist throwing a caveat on the back of that. Because I want to do it. I, I want to do it. Now here is my caveat. Don't worry, it's not totally letting us off the hook. We should say this, to always have balance. To always have balance. There are people actually that do teach this. They teach that Everybody is called to give away all that they possess and then God will bless them. Oftentimes this is part of the prosperity theology culture. We know that's not true because Scripture, uh, 
from Abraham to Joseph of, of Arimathea, we see that God asks them for certain things, but God doesn't always ask for everything. But at the same time, but at the same time, in this day and age in which we live, I think it is very dangerous that our default mode is sometimes to say that God would never ask us for that much. God would never ask us for everything. Or God wouldn't ask this of you. I believe it's very dangerous that many, if not most of us, would discourage our friends and our family from simply getting rid of everything. If we heard a story like this about, about that the Jesus had asked someone to give up everything, we probably would say, well, let's think about that for a minute. If we heard about a woman that was giving away all that she had and she had to live on, we would probably say, well, she probably needs to think about that. It would be offensive to us if they were extremely rich or extremely poor. If they were extremely rich, we would say, man, they've lost their minds. They're fanatical. I mean, if you heard about the richest people that you knew suddenly giving everything that they had away and just going and living somewhere, you would think, man, what kind of crazy is this? Let's, let's be honest. We would, we would think things like that. If they were extremely poor and they gave away their very last bit of money, we would be tempted to think they are foolish with money, which is why they are poor in the first place. We'd be tempted to think these things. Do any of you remember that show, Facts of Life? Do you remember the show, Facts of Life? And there was this character on the show by the name of Blair, and she was the popular um, uh, kind of, she was the popular pretty uh, blonde girl that was on the show. And, and her name in real life is Lisa Welchel. She's still alive. That's her name, Lisa Welchel. Well, she wrote, a book about, uh, uh, she wrote a book about her life, and she writes in her book about a time when she attended a Gaither praise gathering. Right there, you know she's a cool young lady if she attended a pra Gaither praise gathering. Any other Gaither fans in here with me? Southern Gospel? Man, there's not nearly enough of you. So Mark may break it out for us next week, but I guess it's not going to happen. There's not enough, uh, not enough votes. I love Gaithers. My wife asked me what generation I was born in, but I love them uh, nonetheless. But she was 18 years old, and she went to this Gaither praise gathering. She said that there was this preacher there, Tony Campolo. Probably some of you have heard of the Baptist preacher, Tony Campolo. And he was a speaker. And Lisa says that she was profoundly moved, those are her words, profoundly moved and convicted. When the service was over, she went to the front sobbing and dropped her Rolex watch and her diamond and emerald ring into the speaker's coat pocket and asked him to sell them and give the money to help the poor. Welcher went home, she said, full of conviction. And then listen to what she said. She said, I decided that I could easily live on 10% of my salary. I decided to sell my condo and rent a nice apartment. It wasn't necessary for a single girl to live in a three-bedroom, two-story condo. And I certainly didn't need to be driving around in a Porsche. Selling the car and buying a moderate car would free up thousands of dollars, she said. If I had money, in, and she said, I also had money invested in real estate across the country. If I sold it, the money would feed tens of thousands of children. It was a no-brainer, she said. My zeal was strong. I knew that I had heard from God and that I was going to do the right thing. Then she continues, though. She speaks of those who are closest to her, who thought her her type of living and her zeal were ridiculous. She speaks of her family and friends who were also Christians who came alongside of her. And, they, and, and as Christians, she says, she writes, they were fine with my tithing and giving of occasional offerings. But these Christian family and friends, they thought my plan was irrational. My resolve began to break down under the weight of their arguments, which seemed full of logic and wisdom. 
eventually, she says, I abandoned the call, closed my eyes, and returned to living a life that seemed to make sense. Ten years later, Welchel says, at the age of 28 years old, she was broke. She writes, God was trying to get me to invest my money in heaven where it would be safe, but I thought it was too risky to take him at his word. Take him at his word. Brothers and sisters, it seemed illogical and unrational to her Christian family and friends to live the way she did. And so she decided that she would live normal by societal standards. Brothers and sisters, just because it is offensive to us, just because it may be illogical to us, we should not assume that Jesus no longer calls normal, everyday Christians like you and me to live in an abnormal way. Not just with our giving, but with all aspects of our life. That Jesus calls us to live abnormally from what those who, uh, what the world considers normal. Maybe even worse, could it be that we ourselves within our Christian world, with our caveats and our buts, and this is not really what this means, could it be that we are trying to talk people out of taking radical steps to follow Jesus? Are we trying to take people, uh, uh, talk people out of radical steps to live abnormally in the eyes of the world, even though Jesus is calling them to that? Randy Alcorn, who uh, wrote a book called uh, Mo uh, God, Money, uh, God, Money, and Eternity, and some of you have seen the little condensed version that I send to people when they give something here called The Treasure Principle. Randy Alcorn uh, writes, Today there are still two kinds of disciples, one who gives up his income and possessions to further the cause in full-time ministry, and one who earns an income to generously support that same cause. Listen to this. We should be careful not to discourage one another from either of these callings. They are both callings. To the person who says, you know, God is calling me to give up everything and to go overseas and serve the Lord, or God's calling me to, to, to sell this house and to live in a little apartment in order that I might better serve the Lord with my finances, we shouldn't condemn that. Nor should we condemn the person who makes an abundance of money that they give to the Lord. The Bible, I mean, not the Bible, but Alcor points out, which I believe the Bible supports, we should be careful not to discourage one another from either of these callings. He says, there is not, however, listen to this, there is not, however, a third kind of disciple, one who does whatever he or she feels like with money and possessions and fails to use them for the kingdom. Such people are common today, but by New Testament standards, they are not disciples. In other words, what Randy Alcorn is saying, which I believe is what Jesus was saying, and what the Bible teaches us is that some are called to give all of their possessions for the work of God. And others are called to work and to receive money for the work of God. But there is no middle option where our money is just ours. Where our money is just ours. Y'all, God calls each one of us to give at the minimum of 10%. For some, he is called to give 15. For others, 20. 
Some of you, Jesus might be asking you for 50%, and still others, he might be asking you for 100%, no matter how illogical or crazy that may seem. Wherever we are at, wherever you are at on that everything scale, though, on God's everything scale, if you are giving what Jesus is asking, you are being a faithful widow. But if you are giving less on the everything scale than God is asking, if God is asking you to give 20 and you're giving 15, or if God is asking you to give 12 and you're giving 10, wherever we are at on the everything scale, no matter how much it may be or how little it may be, if we are not giving what God is asking, then we are being the unfaithful, rich, young ruler. I challenge each of us today, no matter how illogical it may seem, no matter how offensive it may seem to us and even others, be faithful in giving the absolute amount God is asking of you. Be faithful in willing to be abnormal in the eyes of what the world thinks is normal. Let us pray. Jesus, we thank you so much that you have given everything to us. We thank you that you pour out heaven for us. And each one of us is asked to respond in a different way. We're all asked to start at 10, but from there, God, you have a whole spectrum on the giving scale. None of us can judge one another. But Jesus, let us not assume that you will no longer ask us to be willing to give up everything for you. And Lord, if that is what you're calling us to do, may we be willing to sacrifice. Lord, if you're calling us to give more, may we be willing to sacrifice. And Lord, may we as a church support those who respond to this call in their lives, both with our finances, may we support those also with our love and our support as well. Jesus, we thank you for being the God of everything. May we give everything to you. In your name we pray, amen.